0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. So in case you're not aware, it's halibut season. Mm. And you can find the freshest halibut at, uh, it's just landed in all of Zupan's stores. Wild Alaskan halibut is there, flown in for the ultimate freshness, hand filleted from whole fish in store. And Zupan's has the freshest seafood available in town, and you'll you know, you always find a great deal. I always find a great deal. There's always something there that I like, and I particularly love that at Zupans. and I haven't seen this elsewhere. I'm sure it exists, but I, it's right there. Most every time I can get swordfish, which I used to have all the time yeah. back east and haven't been able to enjoy out here as much. They also have a great
1: and gorgeous selection of spring flowers. I love going. And most of the time when you walk it into a Zupan's, they have say, put the flowers right there. It's the right introduction. There. Beautiful oh, yeah. flowers. Stop in, make your own, or have one of Zupan's creative specialists make a custom arrangement for you. And I score always, some points. You, oh,
0: you scoring some points with Randy I've with those? Always,
1: I've always used them for Valentine's Day, which is now past. But, I mean, their spring blooms look awesome.
0: Yeah, but flowers shouldn't just be for Valentine's no, you're right. Day. you right. Flowers should be all the time. Fine, Chris, I'll stop there on the way home. (laughs) Yeah, let me give you relationship advice. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, April of Zupans is going to feature the Cameron Winery from Dundee. You'll find specials there all month on their Pinots and Chardonnays, and uh, they're also going to have a a tasting on April 14th from noon to five of Cameron Wines. So, get down there for that. Very nice.
1: Three locations, McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Grove, and of course always at Zupans.com. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelis from Portland
0: Food Adventures. I can't believe. And you're cor- Yes. <laughs> I can believe you're core. I can. But, I can. <laughs> um, but uh, what I was going to reference is uh, when I look back, I'm on my Facebook feed, I'm seeing r- podcasts that we were promoting four years four ago. Four years ago, yeah. I know. So it's, we're in year five. It's really hard to believe. Yep. Um, and they get better and better, like a fine wine. You know, I'm still enjoying doing it. Yep. There's not much I've done for five years straight. That you that you still enjoy doing? Well, I don't mean at this moment in time, but my <laughs> but my life. I went to three different colleges. Yeah. You know, I've jumped around. Uh, I did stay in a marriage for a long time, and I've stayed out of a marriage for a long time. So right. those two things I've been good at, rearing kids, dogs. Yes, okay. So I do have some track record. But when I have the choice, I usually get a little restless and I'm not restless here, especially because on an episode like today's, we have uh, some great folks. So great, we thought we'd do it a longer interview and split it up into two podcasts with Bonnie and Israel Morales of Kachka.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a two parter, and in fact, uh, we don't even really get into when Kachka happened until the second episode, right? Well,
0: we get we start to but, we start we talk to talk about the lead it. up. Right, but we're not really talking about Kachka itself yeah. until the second episode. So, if you're listening to this the week it comes out, you got to wait till next week, which you're used to doing mm-hmm. for your media, or you're also maybe used to these days binge listening. So, if you're listening to this after in the after the middle of April, uh, you just you'll just go to the next just episode. Line them up and listen to them, or if you happen to hear the last one first. We're we're welcoming you to the part one. We're kind of getting into
1: the weeds a little bit talking about this, but we want to make people make sure people understand
0: this is a two parter. Right, it's a two parter. So, (laughs) uh, this first part, we're going to join Bonnie and Israel in with their childhoods uh, in Chicago and also Kansas, and we're going to follow their journeys to their intersection at a restaurant in Chicago called True, where Israel had his. First, I believe he was GM. Um, I gotta listen a little. I gotta listen more carefully to this podcast. <laughs>
1: you need to pay attention to your own interviews. Pay attention yeah.
0: to, it. but he in his first interview there was with, with um, for the front of the house, not the back of the house. Front of the house was for, um, for what happened to be Bonnie. Yeah, and they met and they talk about the lightning that ensued, and then leading up to moving to Portland and and some of the things they did on the way. And we'll we'll hear about it. You know, we've heard the story before from Kassandak uh, of Coquín of a husband supporting and encouraging his wife to mm-hmm. do something really special. And that's what you're also going to hear here as well with Bonnie and Israel Morales, part one.
1: Right at the Fork is brought to you by... Zoopans. Unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland. West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zoopans Markets. Ringside Hospitality Group. Ringside Hospitality Group has been owned by the Peterson family for nearly 75 years. A landmark of the Portland landscape, the Steakhouse is considered a local favorite in a town full of discerning foodies. The Ringside Fish House, in the heart of downtown, boasts the freshest seafood and exceptional wine list, and just like the Steakhouse, serves Ringside's world-famous onion rings that James Beard claimed to be the best he's ever had. Visit ringsidesteakhouse.com and ringsidefishhouse.com and make a reservation today. San Pellegrino. You care about your dining experience, so why not to just any water? Enhance your next meal by asking for a refreshing bottle of San Pellegrino and its refreshing, sparkling taste of the Italian Alps. It makes a difference. Eating and traveling? Go to sanpellegrino.com to see where the world's best chefs recommend you dine. And wherever you are, make sure to listen for our Right at the Fork classic episodes, brought to you by San Pellegrino. And by Portland Food Adventures, Join right at the Fore coast, Chris Angeles for once-in-a-lifetime trips this fall to eat and sip your way through Sicily, Mexico City, and PFA's famous trip with Atala chef Jose Chesa to Barcelona. See the exciting itineraries at portlandfoodadventures.com and find Chris's contact info there. If you love food and travel, these trips are for you.
0: Let's work a little backwards, okay? So let's start with how you guys met and what that was all about.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: You, you want to take that? that? <laughs> oh, sure. I'll take it.
2: So, um, I had been working in Chicago at True Restaurant. Uh, True was, at the time, <clears throat> in the early 2000s, um, really the pinnacle for wine service, for uh, front of house service and hospitality. Um, we won a James Beard Award for best service in the country, and, you know, it was, um, it was the mecca in a lot of ways, at least for Chicago. And I was the service director there. I had just been promoted.
0: Uh, and where did, you, how did, where did you start there? I
2: started out as a front waiter. Mm-hmm. Um, I dropped up my resume like every single day for like six months. And um, I, had a, I had a GM and I had a boss that was really intent on uh, making me fail. Like they really wanted to push me as hard as I could. Uh, I went to culinary school at the same time. So um, I really pushed my limits, and it paid off. You know, it, it was really worth it. And so whatever. I, I got um, promoted, and we were essentially looking for my replacement, and um, I had never interviewed anyone before, and Bonnie was the first person that I interviewed
3: ever. And I, I had been working at a place called Moto, which is um, uh, a really different structure, for as far as they kind of viewed um, every single part of the restaurant as just another station. Like it was all just one big kitchen as far as structure goes. And so working on the floor was just another station, just like you might work pantry or grill. Um, and so that's I got into the front of house side of things working there unexpectedly. And I wanted to know more about it. And so I went to the the place in Chicago and in the country at the time. Service Because I wanted to learn from the best. And so that's where Israel I met was um, I was his first interview ever. And I was my first interview for a front house position. So I, I totally felt um, underprepared and underqualified. And I had no idea that he had no idea what he was doing either.
0: But uh. oh, he's since admitted
2: it to <laughs> you. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what questions to ask. I'm pretty sure I was more nervous than she was.
0: So were you uh, more? You were more nervous about the interview itself. Oh yeah. And for were you too nervous to remember what your first impression was when you saw Bonnie? I mean, no, not necessarily. I mean, she was.
2: Um, it was I, all business I, for uh, you? Uh, you. Was yeah, there anything that? No, essentially, it really was all business um, for a while. Uh, you know, aside from: I thought
3: he was so hot. I went home that, little... I went home to the interview and told my, my roommate Shannon, who's also in the food and beverage industry. she's a pastry chef, and um, I was like, "I just met the hottest guy, and I think I just botched that interview because I just couldn't stop staring at him. So I know I, it he left an impression on me. So, sorry.
2: I mean, sure, aside from being attractive, like what really struck me was how confidently she spoke about food and mm-hmm. so sure about um, about food in general. And I thought that that was really, really awesome. You know, there's a there's a high level of, you know, timidity when you're coming into the front of house because you're trying to, you know, say things in an interview that's going to get you hired, you know, and so sometimes it's a little watered down or down the fairway, so that way you can kind of feel out your potential employer. But no, not with Bonnie. Um, she spoke about food and service in such a confident way that, yeah, that was, it was a no-brainer for me.
0: So, how long ago was this? How old were you two then? Boy, oh boy.
3: 26? 27? Uh, 26. Yeah. 26. And that was 2007?
0: Two, uh, yeah, that was- 2000. Yeah, yeah was oh, That wasn't long 20, ago. 2006. No. You too. That was about 10, 11 but years But we've ago. been
3: married for, we'll be 10 years in August.
0: <clears throat> right, so. but- yeah. Someday you're going to look back and go, "That was 30 years ago." Yeah. It seems like a <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. I'm at that stage in my life, so uh, when I hear that it was 2007, that seems like like almost yesterday. I almost right. met you yeah. in yeah. 2000, not long after that. Yeah, then. right. So, yeah,
2: so it, it was crazy. We we met in February, February uh, 9th, I think, um, and we were married. Isn't that great that he That's remembers. A, it's amazing. Today? I don't remember. Did he just at score?
0: All. So what? That's some those yeah. are some points right there for yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and then we we were married a year and a half later. So that went fast.
0: That did go and fast. And then we had
3: our first skin in 2009.
0: So, so but but how did you uh how did you manage a relationship in the workplace? You know,
2: um we didn't have such a lengthy relationship in the actual workplace before we left, you know, individually and worked at different places.
3: We I mean um we n- well, no one told us we had to leave, but I felt like there was a conflict of interest and that like we couldn't both do our own thing so like i I left shortly thereafter, and then um Israel left like maybe six months after that.
2: yeah, but we didn't really even start dating uh you know immediately after being hired, you know um I was pretty I was pretty rough on her for a while, you know, um I mean, someone coming from the back of house going to a front of house job has its own challenges, but someone coming from the back of the house, even if they're very confident and well, um, you know, educated, going to true, that's a whole different ballgame. And cool. there are a lot of things that are kind of built in that need some not only training and polishing, but retooling altogether. So kitchens I, are, I was pretty rough on her.
3: Kitchens are built on like pure speed and efficiency. And the faster you can get something up, the better. I mean, you have to have finesse on the plate but what you look like doing it isn't an issue. And so I just remember this one time where he was, you know, you use a lot of nonverbal communication. And so he was giving me eyes, which is, I mean, it means that somebody wants to talk to you or they need, they might be like trying to show you that a table needs clearing or whatever. Um, But I saw him looking at me and I couldn't tell anything going on in our section. And I, so I walk over to him just thinking he was flirting or something. And uh, he's like, do you ever play soccer? Well, um. Yeah, actually, I mean, in fourth grade, I played a little soccer. I just I think he's making conversation, and he just like cuts me off, and he's like, "Yeah, I can tell you're moving on the floor like a soccer player, and you should be moving on the floor like a dancer." And just like spin moved around and walked away from me.
0: Wow. So, yeah. but that <laughs> begs the question. I just noted that on Facebook last night or yesterday. You posted that that uh, article on the pointing. Japanese pointing on the, <laughs> the buses, and, and the comment was, Israel, is your head going to explode or something like yeah. that. Is that,
3: it's a, is, is it's that related. related
0: to oh, this point? Oh, man. Absolutely.
3: It is a known fact. Ask anyone that's ever worked for Israel or with Israel that he abhors pointing, especially pointing. in a dining room. And when he sees servers pointing, he finds it to be it's like filthy like no one should it's, it's just a it's a rude gesture in a dining room. It's very oh, so aggressive. that's very different so than the way I read off, it
0: because no. I didn't know I assumed it was some orderly marine no. camp. No, sign, no, no, you no. know, look at how they're doing it. And I loved no, it no, because
3: no. I find myself pointing all the time, and I don't mean to. I don't want to like. St- I I totally respect his p- like position on pointing in the dining room. It is it is like kind of a rude gesture, and there's better ways to explain. You can show somebody where to go, or you can you know be a little bit less like.
0: Well, there's also Pointy. the, there's also the Carol Merrill yeah. way of pointing, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of like yeah. just yeah.
3: grand gestures. Grand
0: gestures. <laughs> so
3: anyway, I, I find myself pointing all the time, but now I feel like I have some leverage. I can be like, I, I'm pointing out of safety because that's the whole Japanese pointing technique is it's like you point to show that you're actually scanning the area for, you know. Flaws, right? right it was right.
0: that was an efficiency yeah. situation yes. but it's interesting i have a friend who's from north dakota and every time we, the we're best friends we've been best friends for a uh, long time and every time he visits i get the the and he's older than i am so i get his perspective so pointing to him and, and i guess i don't realize that i do this sure. and he's always pointing out to me you know don't point Don't point. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that before. It's
2: just—it's really aggressive,
0: you know, in in the dining room. And especially um, in a dining room. I mean, if I'm a customer in a dining room and just saying, hey, look over there, that's different than working for you. Exactly. And if I'm pointing at a person, like,
2: that's just, it's really aggressive. Oh, you
0: can't do that.
2: No. No, no, no. no, no. But
3: people do. And so I, ever since I've been in Israel, I pay attention to all of the pointing everywhere. And so now I challenge you to sit down in a restaurant and not see pointing. And it, like it makes his head explode.
2: That's pretty much like <laughs> if you even even my former positions um, and former restaurants and places that I've worked in town. Like if you go back there and you just ask somebody about pointing, there's it's there. You know, everybody leaves an impression where they've worked or whatever, and that's mm-hmm. that is definitely uh, a mark that I've left. Yeah, I can't handle it.
0: Yeah. So, what marks did you have in your childhood? Because. I, 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 we did an event once and you and I have known each other a little while, so I haven't even watched you operate in a kitchen, Bonnie, except for, you know, at events, I've seen you at a table being very nice, but I can say that what I've seen of Kachka runs like a top, and when you were at Wafu, yeah. right, same thing, and then Gruner, everything was, uh, to me, seems really organized, there was nothing that was going to get through a crack. So what in, your, what in your background got you to that point?
2: Yeah, I, I, I really don't know um, as far as childhood is concerned. You know, I come from a big family, so. How many kids? Eight.
0: I'm and f- where were you? I'm
2: four out of eight. Yeah.
0: Uh, have you done a lot of research as to what that means?
2: Yeah, kind of, but it's all, it's all screwed up. So I'm the youngest of uh, the first four that my mom remarried and had four more. And so I'm kind of the youngest, but also in the middle. Wow! So,
0: yeah. What is it? I know, eight I'm, kids I'm in a house? Up, right. Yeah. Uh, I well, don't you, know. I mean, hey, I can be plenty <laughs> screwed. It <laughs> doesn't matter the size of the family. There's there can be dysfunction. Yeah. And besides, with eight with eight, don't you? There's a good possibility you're going to get a few sane sane out of the eight siblings. Correct. A few. And, yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: You're rolling the dice. It's yeah. Going, exactly. Eventually, the averages work out. But, it, um, well. I have a musical background and um, I went to school for music, uh, for music theory and composition. Um, And so I'm a big classical music buff. That's pretty much all I listen to these days. Um, And there is, there's a really um, comforting and healthy amount of structure and organization. And there are are laws, just like laws in math, you know, um, that govern music. Even if it's on a subversive level, um, and so I think that moving into the restaurant industry, like just that way of organizing things in my head, and then you know um, showcasing that in the dining room floor and instilling those you know concepts to staff, um, I think that there's a tie there.
0: But how did you make the move from music to restaurants? Well, music doesn't make you any money, uh,
2: neither do restaurants. But um, uh, it depends. Some people yeah. made a
0: few bucks in music. Well.
2: I was on the far less glamorous side of music. So, being a music theorist, all I wanted to do really was edit music theory textbooks. That's that's pretty much, yeah. Not very much. So, I was working in restaurants. (laughs) I don't see that on Spotify. No, not at all. (laughs) I mean, I perform, but I'm not a musical performer, you know. So,
3: he got a full uh, ride scholarship to Kansas, University of Kansas for piano performance. So, saying that he's not. A performer is ridiculous because he is actually amazing
2: I, I do perform but like the idea was always like I I love composing and I love music theory and I love the structure of it and um I worked in restaurants forever just as a server at some place slinging hash and you know not a big deal and
0: at school in Kansas
2: Yep, yeah, in Kansas um that's that's where I started, yeah.
0: What was your first what was your first restaurant my job there? My
2: first restaurant job was this tiny little hole in the wall Mexican joint called Ixtapa. And I was the only server there. Um it was it was the kind of spot where it was like a four ninety five lunch special and you know, you order by the number and it's like two hundred items on the menu. It was uh it was crazy. I cut my teeth there and like I don't even know if that place is still around, but it was great. Like it teaches you how to hustle. There are 20 tables and they were all mine. So you learn moves to figure out how to make it all happen.
0: Can you handle, if you had to, 20 tables at Kachka right Absolutely now? not. No, are you <laughs> kidding me?
2: No, our staff is amazing. And they, they're the ones that handle everything. I mean, we, I, I say this, I feel like I say this a lot that, you know, um, we're, we're a team, we're a group um, and everyone is important right? But there must be a leader. You have to have a leader to lead the group, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that is the person like you're the leader because you're the biggest and strongest and fastest. That's not at all the reason. Um, you're the leader that like directs the larger pieces and the concept, you know, to have them execute. So that's basically what our staff does because dude, I couldn't handle that.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a, I'm sitting here. There's nothing I could do that you guys do at all. You do it you do it so well. So, um, and Bonnie, well, I want to I want to talk about both of your childhoods because you, you both come with, yeah, you know, Mexican background, and yeah. you have got a Russian background. That to me is very interesting that you've uh, that you've blended the two. So, uh, eight kids. Where was this? Um, Kansas. In Kansas? Yeah, I'm from Kansas City. Oh, okay. Yeah. He
3: spent first four years in southern Mexico, and yeah. then his mom and dad split, and so then they moved up to Kansas.
0: Yeah. And what brought, the, what brought them to Kansas?
2: So my mom's entire family is from Kansas and Chicago, so that's basically where they've lived forever and ever. Um, my dad is from southern Mexico, from Chiapas, and he has family in Oaxaca, too. So <clears throat> when I was born, yeah, I was born in Kansas in the United States. And then we lived in Southern Mexico for a few years. And so like, you know, Spanish was my first language. I, you know, grew up knowing that culture. And then when moving to Kansas, my mom is, is not Mexican, but she's fluent in Spanish. And so we, even though living in Kansas, like we were still heavily immersed in growing up, you know, like a a Mexican family. So that was really cool. Um,
0: Kansas. So were you, the neighborhood you grew up in, it was
2: Spanish speaking? For a time, one of the neighborhoods, yeah. Um, when my mom remarried, we kind of bounced around and moved a lot. My um, stepfather is from California, and so we lived in California for a while and moved back to Kansas, and so I've, you know.
0: Oh, it, give you, it gave you a little uh, rounding to get yeah. to get to California, if you'd spent all the time in Kansas.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Then, then
0: you might not be here right now,
2: right? <laughs> totally. And yeah. I, mean, I, I think that I, I think about this a lot actually that like I don't really use my Spanish very much anymore. I don't really identify as, you know, a Latin American, I, I suppose. But um, it's because I grew up in that way that allowed me to be open to other experiences as I grew up, right? If I had just been just a singular white kid in the middle of Kansas never knowing anything else, I never would have taken other leaps or other chances.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? And you've taken a few. So you had to take, that was a big leap to get from, I don't know if it was a d- d- direct shot, but from Kansas to Chicago and then- By way of ha- Dallas. By way of yeah. Dallas, okay. Yeah. And then coming out here, which I want to get to in a while after we talk a little bit about Bonnie's uh, childhood. Um, tell us a little bit about that. How many kids in your family? Just
3: two. I have Just a brother. Two. He's eight years older,
0: so mm-hmm. there's a that's that, a little bit of a gap. Yeah, did yeah. you were you close?
3: Um, I mean, we we're closer now than we probably the, were when we were growing up.
0: Stands to reason.
3: Yeah, but um, my parents immigrated the year before I was born, and so part of that is why I don't have any closer age gap. My parents were just like we're not having more children in the Soviet Union, and we want to leave. So um, that's kind of. But I also don't, like, there's so many other family and close friends that have an eight-year gap between children. I wonder if, like, everyone kind of had the same idea um, in the Soviet Union at that same, around the same time. Like, I have cousins and— um, Oh,
0: that's the standard? Um, maybe it was— I don't know. Maybe it was a law.
3: Ah, uh, no. <laughs> but um, I think more just that people were—it It's. It was really difficult. And so you, um, you're like, I might wait a second before I do this again. Um, but anyway, yeah, we have an eight-year age gap. I was born— uh, the year after they immigrated. So I grew up speaking Russian. Um, I learned English from Sesame Street uh, and kindergarten. Um, I, re- I still remember like having this meeting at the school when I was going, like placing into school. And because English was my second language that like I had to have this like special meeting with this lady who made me, she'd like point to different pictures and have me Say the words and like her berate and she didn't berate me, but I remember as a kid, I remember it like her coming down on me because she pointed to a picture of a house and I called it a home. And that, that wasn't good enough.
0: Oh man, I, I like, <laughs> no one knows the difference <laughs> yeah, between I'm, those two. I now. was
3: five. I mean, come on, or maybe even four, because my birthday's in August. Whatever. Anyway, so
0: But that's a statement on you that you think of it as a home right. as a I feel like as that's, a place. That's a more as positive. As a warm place, right. Yeah, a house is an more, a, more positive an object.
3: spin on it. But yeah, I just I remember I do remember that sort of struggle about it not being my language. Um but I yeah, anyway, I uh my parents came over and then um the no there was no other like immigration was closed off until 1988 or so and then and then it was like the floodgates opened and every extended family member that i could pretty much think of started coming over um and they all came to chicago because that's where we had co- gone
0: was united states the the destination for most everyone
3: some people went to israel so i, I My family's Jewish. And so you would leave Russia at that time as a refugee and Hayas is an organization um, that helps with relocation in the United States. But um, you left as a as a refugee. Um, You're basically defecting from the Soviet Union and you're saying Israel is my homeland. And so you leave. It's like a really sketchy process. Um, There's a whole thing where you you have to announce that you're leaving before you get approval to go. And so if you end up, you're a refusenik. And if you end up being denied for any reason, you now are persona non grata. You, you can't be employed. You're, you're basically this like in between. You, you can't defected, leave. You but you're not
0: a citizen. Well, I mean it's so the ultimate no longer, decision.
2: You, right. Man, and so like, it's
3: a really, cha- especially for a, a family to make, you know, with children, it's a really challenging decision to make. Wow. So a lot of people, that's I mean, they did it so that a lot of people chose not to. Anyway, my parents went for it. And uh, nobody else did at the time. They also thought it was too risky. And then um, they ended up all coming over after um, 88, 89. So. Um,
0: but the odds were better then. That was why they. Yeah. That was part of the, the, what went into it. Yeah. But anyway. So, I can't imagine that because you're not only making. As parents now. You're not only making that decision for the. You know. two adults. Kids are involved. They be. They carry the legacy. It's genetic. The persona non grata. Yeah. Absolutely.
3: And, but they also, there was so much anti-Semitism that um, you carried it if you stayed too. I mean, I, there were so many, my dad didn't get into the university he wanted to go to because he was Jewish. My aunt couldn't play on a basketball team because she was Jewish. And it was all kind of like, nothing was official. It was just, you just knew. And if you ask anybody who's, who's Jewish, who lived there at that time, they could just say, yeah, it was just, it was systemic anti-Semitism. I mean, there's there's no rabbit trail or there's no paper trail of that, but that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you kind of you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Are you so and for my parents, it was just we might as well just go, mm. um, or try. And they so anyway, you leave, and once you leave, there's like a specific path you take. You go by train through Poland, um, into Vienna, and in Vienna, you can then declare that actually you don't want to go to Israel. And the other, at that time, the other countries that um, accepted Jewish refugees from the Soviet Union were Australia, Canada, and the United States. So my parents came to the United States because my, she had, my mom had a great uncle um, who had escaped around the revolution. He, like, ended up fleeing to Cuba and came to the United States through Cuba. And so we had this, like, family branch that had sort of set up shop in Chicago that was that they knew about but had no communication with. So they kind of were they picked Chicago only because they knew of the existence of this distant family. Um, so they I, otherwise I think they could have just as easily have gone to Canada or Australia and
0: Right. Whole, and was there a connection when they got to Chicago? Yeah, I mean it? they
3: they definitely created, I mean they reestablished their roots and um, they were close for a long time. There was some family falling out that happened that it was unfortunate between some factions or whatever, but, um, I don't know, I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, that was an important part. I remember growing up of my family. And then when people started immigrating later on, um, they all just chose Chicago cause we were there. Um, I mean, some people in New York, some in Canada, um, uh, some people chose to go to Israel. Um, but yeah, the most, most all of my, the only exception was my dad's N- now deceased um, brother who decided to stay, and he ended up immigrating in in two thousand. I think it was one, two, two thousand two, maybe. So at that, and so now it's I, when I when I do go to Russia and and Belarus, which is where my family's from. Um, I there's like distant cousins to visit, and that's really it. So it was cool. It was uh, um in in that time when everyone was coming, it was like a constant party because there was we were always celebrating somebody arrived. I I like I could at that time like. The O'Hare Airport International terminal with like the the, the or it wasn't the international terminal, maybe it was because it was from New York to Chicago that they would come with all like the lights on that like long runway of or that long walkway um like I, I had like like seared in my brain because as a kid I would go there so because at that time you could go past security you'd like you'd like yeah. wait for people at the gate and i I remember like it felt like every weekend we were greeting somebody at the airport who had just immigrated, and i like I have that smell of like travel and suit those like leather suitcases and like I can't even I don't even know what the smell is but it's like the smell of immigration to me that I just I and I love it was there was just parties all the time and new cousins and that also helped because I um I think that I otherwise would not have kept the Russian that I had I had learned first but the minute you go to school you you know it's gone you're now you want whatever the kids at school are speaking um so if it hadn't been for this constant, you know, infusion of new cousins to have to communicate with in Russian, I think that, my, I mean, my Russian now is pretty spotty, but it would be way worse if I didn't have that sort of ongoing practice.
0: And what kind of neighborhood did they end up in?
3: Um, we, first we were on the north side of Chicago on Western. Um, and then they bought, uh, you know, American Dream. They bought their own, um, like, part of a quadplex.
0: What did, like a t- and what did he do to with A? My,
3: my dad was a computer programmer, very Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my mom, when I, so actually, uh, when I was, when they came here, my mom, my mom is, this is very practical. She's like, well, I can't speak English anyway. Um, I'm, we, I might as well have a kid. Like I'm going to be at home. I don't, I can't do anything here anyway. I might as well make children. So that's how my very un flashy way of existence came to be. Um, and then when I was born, she was like, well, I'm at home with my baby anyway. And like, so they, they ended up living in Niles um, at that, I think it was two when we moved into Niles. It's like a n- near north suburb of Chicago. And it was this like, there was this community of other immigrants from the, from the former Soviet Union. And it was like just like the whole like cult, like the courtyard of this like multi-building quadplex um, was all like similar families. And so my mom started watching all of the other babies and children from their families. So she started a home daycare inadvertently. Um, and so that's what she, she just, she was like, and she like ended up with like a reputation of being like the lady that you go to if you're Russian Jewish. Um, she had like a wait list. I remember when I was older, I mean, it was crazy.
2: She had it for, she had it for 30 years.
0: Yeah. 30 years. Yeah, That's a, then that's a lot of, that's a lot of kids. yeah yeah i like
3: wish she had kept better like but there i mean there are kids i have um there's a girl roseanne who she's a um, family friend her her parents and my parents were friends and she was one of my mom's first charges and like i remember my mom watching her son when i was still living in chicago so that wasn't like i mean it was maybe 15 years no 10 15 years ago now but yeah like this whole like Next, Now she's like moving on to the next generation. I mean, it's crazy. It's intense. And I I see some kids now that I remember playing with at the daycare that are like, I mean, they're like me, they're adults. And like, it's just, it's super cool.
1: Chris, super excited to be able to say this, that this episode of Ride the Fork is made possible
0: because of some great support from Ringside Hospitality Group. Yeah, that includes Ringside Steakhouse, Mm -hmm. which of course everybody knows about, but we need to be reminded and we're going to have a few things that are going on there that would key folks to uh, jump over to ringside and of course ringside fish house right downtown some of the best fish available and that same quality that you've been experiencing at ringside steakhouse for years they've uh, they've adapted that to fish as well so some things that you might want to be aware of that are going on steakhouse prime Mondays every Monday they offer a $35 three-course prime rib dinner includes mixed greens You get a 10-ounce prime rib with your choice of potato, followed by ringside's creme brulee for dessert. Mm. While supplies last. You know, that's great because I just discovered a place out in Manzanita that has weekend prime ribs, and I've been kind of thinking that was something I don't get in Portland. You do at ringside. You could also,
1: if you're not in the mood for steak on Monday, you could go to the Fish House for Dollar Oyster Mondays where you can get the best oysters for just a buck a shuck.
0: And uh, <laughs> I love I love saying that. Of, I'm, yeah, I had to avoid stepping in. Yep. But uh, also, uh, wine down Sundays. Every Sunday, Ringside Fish House offers fifty percent off most bottles of wines from a wine list of over six hundred labels. So that's valid in the dining room only. And some great reasons to go back to Ringside. You can make reservations online, which I always love. RingsideSteakhouse dot com
1: or ringsidefishhouse.com.
0: So in that neighborhood, you must have been participating in a lot of other immigration parties, too. There yeah. are other families that were experiencing the same thing you were.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know. I was going in other people's families, but I just there was always there was so it was, much it was camaraderie a celebratory
0: neighborhood. Yeah. There was, always, yeah.
3: Know, there was always, you know, there's always, you know, parties happening in somebody's backyard. Like it felt like every night in the summer. And um, they, I remember like I wish that I remembered as an uh, like with a clearer mind because I just had I have kid mind memories but like my parents would go on like rager camping trips with their buddies like I was just like three or four but like I see photos with like bonfires and everyone's clearly wasted and they're just having a blast <laughs> and I mean it just looks like it was the best time they had no money I mean it was all like what else could you do but go camping
0: and but, were, were, was it mostly Russian food
3: Uh, yeah I mean they would go fishing and they'd just like fry up some fish and stuff but you know um russify it, cause that's what you do. I mean, that's what they know. So Yeah.
0: But and so, did you get your? Is that where your your first interest in food was? That no, no. When was that?
3: Um, I mean, I got into food, like in not not in the most clear path. I um, when I was in college, I was dating a guy whose mother was like Martha Stewart. I mean, she had a bed and breakfast and she was the home ec teacher in their small town and she um, would do flower arranging and catering and her and her home was just like beautiful. Um, And I just I just remember like reading all of her Martha Stewart magazines all the time and like buying barefoot Contessa cookbooks and stuff. And like I mean you're in college so like you can either eat Taco Bell every night or you can figure out how to make your own food. And my mother was my mother is a huge control freak in the kitchen. So like I was never as a kid, I didn't learn how to cook at all because she never let me in the kitchen. Um, I, I, I will say that my parents had a restaurant when I was in high school. They had like opened a restaurant with their best friends. It's like it was a, everything you should not do in opening a restaurant. It was like a huge like just like case study in what to not do. Um. So I did like help out there. But the you
0: weekends. didn't know that at the time. This isn't what not to do. No. You, are, you now see that. Oh, from yeah, your absolutely. Now. But
3: I, I mean, I so that if nothing else, like further solidified how I could never have like, why would I ever go into food? Like I had this horrible experience with my parents having a restaurant. I never got to cook as a kid. Um, I, you I know, Lisa wasn't... Schroeder
0: says the same thing. She didn't get <laughs> <didn't> to cook either. <laughs>
3: Her mom and my mom should hang out. Um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, it, I just, yeah. I, my mom was like, "Oh, you're like I had long hair as a little girl, and if I like went running through the kitchen with my hair not tied back, she'd start freaking out and yelling, just like my presence could uh, hair is going to magically float off my head and come flying into the salad bowl." Or now,
0: especially at that age, it's not leaving your head too easily. Yeah,
3: yeah, right. Um, no, so yeah, I just I I got into it um, in a really backwards way. I, I I had this sort of. Um, influence um, from my boyfriend's mom. And then I ended up moving to to New York for, um, I had gotten a degree in um, industrial design. And
0: where like, was your degree?
3: In, industrial design. Oh, university of Illinois. Oh, okay. Um, And so that's like product design and development. And I had this like sort of dream job at a consultancy um, in union square. Um, it was like everything I wanted to do. And it was like a unicorn job. They like don't exist for entry level, like for grads. Um but uh, I, I had that and I hated it. I hate, like, I hated everything about it. Um, but I, lo- I was right by the farmer's market. The Union Square farmer's market in, in New York is amazing. Um, and so I would just, like, buy all this stuff and make, I don't know, I thought, you know, I thought making basil ice cream was something crazy at the time. And, uh, or olive oil. I, I remember um, Otto, like Mario Batali, like one of his first offshoot restaurants, like, um, was Otto. Um, and like I had this olive oil ice cream there once and I just, it like blew my mind. So I don't like that kind of stuff got me really interested into food, like thinking about it creatively.
0: And that's, that was an era when olive oil ice cream was really unusual. I mean, we live in Portland, Oregon, where you can, you know, there's well, yeah, nothing okay. that will surprise you.
3: The salt and star, but olive oil is like a thing now, but yeah, it was, this was in 2003. So, I mean, that I- was like. That
0: was still wasn't long ago. I'll just maintain but that. Still, but still,
3: 2000. I mean, 2003. <laughs> like people making not just like chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry ice cream was like, it was newer.
0: Right. Yeah. I
3: mean, anyway. So it it that like shocked me, and it it had it like that. I know, and I love ice cream, so like that obviously is a, a thing for me.
0: What's but, your favorite? What What is your if you your last ice cream on the planet? What would it be?
3: Whatever's in my freezer. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um. I would probably say peppermint stick. Or something like that. I, I just love whatever. doesn't matter. I don't know.
2: Anything. I, I feel like there is this one flavor that is discontinued or it doesn't.
3: There is. Like, yeah. There is. There's this haagen special flavor. It was like in a purple container that they just had for like one season a there few have years been times ago. We've
2: traversed the city. And I remember looking, like buying
3: us. a case for of it once because it was going out. And it's like this peanut butter <laughs> pie yeah. situation. Yeah. Whatever. I do. I love peanut butter. I, I don't care i'll eat any ice
0: cream i was just with my kids last night i had paul newman's peanut butter oreos have you tried those as oh, long yeah. as you're mentioning it i just went, wow. I, last night i thought oh my god i didn't know about these they're great so if they you love peanut butter give those yeah. a, give those a whirl i do love
3: that um yeah so i i got into it that way and um i hated my job and i had started cooking a lot at home um cooking for friends um like having dinner parties kind of silly. And I, I mean, I had an understanding. Like, I did help at my parents' restaurant when I was younger. Um,
0: but there had to be a point when you're cooking for friends, the larger it gets, you have to be, you have to have some skills, right? You're not going to do it if it sucks. I actually went to college and I lived and I moved into a co-op, which was like a fraternity without the fraternity designation. Right. So mm-hmm. we had one guy who got free food. So he did all the shopping and he would get ramen and The cheapest stuff for us, but every once in a while we get a good meal. So I was stuck in that kitchen cooking for 16 people with one of my good friends who was like an alcoholic at the time. So the whole, it was, the process was crazy. We had no clue. I actually remember there was, we had one half of garlic clove and he said, don't put any more than that. That's going to be too much for. (laughs) I, I really remember That's that. So, crazy. so I'm just I'm just relating to you. You had to have some skills to want to keep doing it and yeah. do it well and invite more people. I mean,
3: I will say that like my, my boyfriend's uh, mom in, in college, like we would go down and help her with like catering gigs and stuff. And so like I saw like, and she wasn't classically trained at all, but she had been doing it long enough that they had like developed systems too. So I think I, like as far as like that sort of more in mass thing, like I, I understood it. And, I, and again, I had been helping at my parents' place. So like I... I'd been inside of a commercial kitchen, Um, but I, yeah, I just, it was just, there was, it was, I can't, so having a design background and I I have a sort of a art background in general, like I drew a lot as a kid. I, everything I look at in life is like a design problem. And like, I just, I want to solve the problem. And so I look at food and I still do it now. I, I, to this day, like it is a design problem that needs solving. Um, And so I got interested in food through that. Like I just, it's for me, it's like a really interesting design problem. Um, And that, that, I think that thing that switched it was like when I started, like, it sounds so silly, but like when I saw things like olive oil, ice cream, it was like an, oh, I can, I can view this like a design problem. I can approach it. There, there aren't sort of these like rote, like requirements for how something is supposed to be. Um, I can, I can apply like some thinking to it and, and, and work with that. Um, So I, anyway, I. I, I, I didn't know any of that at the time. I think it was a little bit more loose. I just can say that in retrospect. But um, I ended up quitting my job and going to culinary school, which is stupid. But I did. And then I, I worked in restaurants. Oh, well, so, uh,
0: that, uh, how can you say it was stupid?
3: I mean, it's a lot of money. And I feel like everything that I learned in culinary school, I could have learned faster and cheaper just working in a restaurant
0: right but it it led you on a certain path yeah and I, I do
3: i mean i met i i have so many great friends from that experience and um i i did enjoy the structure i think that um i i like i like structured learning and so for for my type of brain i think it makes a lot of sense um but i also think that it was i think it's a really foolish endeavor as far as if you do the the cost analysis of how much money you spend versus what you get for it. I don't, I just, I, I don't know, it's, it's complicated.
0: Well, that analysis changes every year because yeah. there had to be a time, much like college. I mean, when I went to college, it was a few thousand dollars
3: uh, a year. Yeah, me too. It
0: wasn't, it, wasn't the, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't the end of the world. Same thing with culinary school. And I sat with a number of people in this room who said the same thing just go yeah. get a get, go get a job find find somebody you respect go to get a job in that restaurant and there's your culinary school
3: although i will say that that is harder and harder as well um i use my own restaurant as an example like i don't have the time and the we don't have the the uh enough slack in profit margins to have time for teaching people you know what i mean like they're used and also the laws are changing. I mean, there is a time when you could have an army of people working for free at the French Laundry and no one batted an eye at that. But now, like, I, I mean, I know somebody who was working as a manager, as a sous chef at French Laundry for many years. He's not, he's not there anymore. But um, he was, I, we were, you know, like having a beer and talking about struggles. And like I, my assumption is a place like French Laundry, they don't, they're not, they're not like having trouble finding staff. And they, they, it's a real struggle. Nobody, nobody wants, they might want to come for like a month's stage maybe, but nobody wants to like put in their time and work there, let alone for free. Um, So like getting that sort of apprenticeship style of job is also really challenging. Right. and It's going away.
0: And also there's the the other side of it in a city like Portland, there are a lot of people who came here because it was less expensive than San Francisco or, or another city and gone is that yeah that's that's it may be better than San Francisco still but it's uh, in terms of cost yeah. but um it's not easy you can't come here now in stage and say I'll do this for nothing just to get where I'm gonna oh, go oh yeah no absolutely not so the, the game has changed and even in the time since you opened Kachka that game has changed right a few years oh yeah so um but we'll talk I'd I'd like to talk about that later I still want to Find. I want to lead up to the opening of Katchka. Okay. What you, how you guys decided to do that. So, but but before, what brought you? How did you both manage to come to Portland? What was the impetus for that?
3: Um, it's all my brother's fault.
2: Strawberries, strawberries or that too. too.
0: So well, it's strawberries, so, so, peppermint, olive oil. We've got. Gosh. We're getting all the ingredients yeah. together for strawberries.
3: this. Strawberries. Um, my brother was like. <laughs> the one voice of dissent and all of the, the like family and extended family that all like immigrated to Chicago. Everyone stayed there for the most part. I think I had one cousin that ended up moving to DC, but other than that, it was like, you, you came to Chicago, we're going to stick together. Um, and he, um, he ended up moving out West. He moved to Portland. Everybody thought he was crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, I, cause you know, nobody leave. Why would you leave Chicago? We're all here. What do you, what do you want to do out in this like far out west outpost? Um, uh but so my parents and I would visit and
0: and Portland Oregon wasn't a destination for Chicagoans. It wasn't I grew up in the New York area. Nobody came this way. They'd oh. go Florida or L.A. Yeah. or San Francisco. Probably the same thing mm-hmm. with Chicago, although what I can say about Chicago from my Arizona days is a lot of people ended up down there, too. Sure. Arizona was an appealing destination yeah. for freezing Chicagoans. Oh, yeah. Yeah, nobody so.
3: came out west, and it was um, he uh, came out here in 2000 and um, said, you know, where well, I'm not coming back. I love it here. Um, and so I remember being, um, you know, I think high school, college, college probably. Um, that I would come out here and visit. And I um I I loved it. He we would go camping together and pick strawberries and all this stuff. And um I I just I I didn't know that a place with so much, and even at that time it was the food was really good. All it has always been so much better here than anywhere else. And um I remember being shocked by how much good food I could have. Um and anyway, so I would visit all the time. And then um, when Israel and I started dating, we would come here together and we, he loved it too. Um, and we would um, talk about how amazing it would be to live here. And I, I do you remember s-
0: that day. Do you remember the conversation? Cause I remember that I had to have that conversation with myself. Do you remember the, well,
3: when we, you considered it? We talked about it like all the time. I can't remember a specific, like first time we talked about it, but I will, I do remember when we said we were coming, which is that my brother so my dad was turning was it 65 at the time 65 yeah. and so we all took um a trip to bourbon country together we like rented a church bus so like it was my brother and his girlfriend at the time and and, and um israel and i were well we had yeah. noah was no my our son noah was like was nine six, months, months, six months old six months so old yeah now. it was us and my parents and we all took a church bus together down to kentucky from chicago and um we were you know, rented a house and we were drinking bourbon at night and my brother basically called BS and was like, You you're never you keep saying you're gonna move out, but you're not. I just know it. You're you know, like if you're gonna do it, do it now.
2: It's like just shit or get off the pot. Like you know, you're not getting any younger. You have a baby,
0: figure it out. Oh yeah. We're three or four years in, either you figure it, it out or stop talking so about it. Right. You know?
3: I, I you know, he's my older brother. So if he tell he, he's and I'm I'm also like I, I'm stubborn, so I I don't want to. I'm. I don't. I don't want to be told that I'm. I'm not going to do something. If I, yeah. I, anyway, so I was like, "Fine. Okay. We're, we're doing it." So it was. It was. I don't. It was hasty, but I'm. I don't regret it at all. Um. But we like. I think two months later, moved out here. Like Israel quit his yeah, job. I Ended up March. flying out to look for some work out here, and then I came out a couple weeks later.
0: And so, what was your first job here, Israel? What was it?
2: My first job. Um. I landed the dining room manager position at the Allison Inn and Spa.
0: Oh cool, Yeah, that's a nice, that's, that's a special spot. Which
2: is great, really great. Um, I didn't have any connections here. Um, I think one really thin thread of a connection from a coworker in Chicago, but that's really it. I hit the pavement pretty hard with my resume and I got that job and it was great. The commute was super long. And um, it didn't end up working out. I was in the middle of uh, talks of potentially opening a new restaurant um, where we were going to focus on seafood, and it was going to take Portland by storm, you know, just gonna take them by surprise, you know, uh, and that was Finn. And so I was at that Allison for maybe six weeks, maybe, um, and then I jumped on board to open Finn.
0: I was the first customer there. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. You remember that. That's right. That's when we, uh, I just happened to be, I happened to be driving by at, uh, it was like five o'clock. I looked at, I actually think I looked at, oh no, I looked at Eater. I I saw it on Eater. Eater was around then. Yeah. yeah. And there was this, oh, it's right here. It's opening now, like this minute. I'm going (laughs) in. Yeah. So, um, and I remember it. And Trent is incredible.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, Trent and I, Trent Pierce. Yeah. Trent Pierce is fantastic. Um, like we were, I really felt like we were the duo to make Finn like, really sore, you know. Um, and
0: how did you two meet?
2: Blindly. I mean, I applied for the position. I got interviewed. We sat on milk crates in the middle of a empty, not quite built out restaurant. And that was our interview, like 10 minutes. We really clicked though. And, you know, I think that... um it had been, if it had been a different time, maybe a different location, maybe a different owner, you know, because Trent wasn't equity there and neither was mm-hmm. I. We were just employees essentially. Um, if that, if those situations had been different, I'm pretty sure it would probably still be open. You know, I mean, what he's doing over at Rowe is phenomenal and is like the mature step up from what Finn was trying to do. But I don't know. I mean, Finn was, Finn was scrappy. Mm-hmm. It was great. It, it really showed a lot of Trent's best sides in a much like more inviting and fun atmosphere. You know? So yeah, that was um that was technically like my first real foray into Portland restaurants, whereas the other being in Newburgh.
0: Right. And what about you, Bonnie? What what was your first gig here?
3: In Portland. So we um when we moved here, our son was nine, ten months old and um I stayed at home with him for a while and then I needed we needed insurance and I needed daytime jobs. So um I ended up working at new seasons. I worked at New Seasons for three years. Yeah. Four years. I can't remember. No, four years. Um in managing the cheese department and um and then working in the beer and wine department as well. Um
0: did you know anything about those when you took the job or did you learn on the job?
3: Oh no, I know I have a huge so I managed a cheese bar in Chicago. A, a wine and cheese bar um after I left true for a while and um I just I really love single ingredient artisan things you know like cheese or wine or chocolate or whatever like I just I love I, I'm a huge nerd about that kind of stuff um so um it fed sort of my intellectual side a lot um yeah so I but it was it was a great it's a great uh, I mean I don't, I can't say how it is now versus then just because I've you know, things change, but it was a great company to work for, and it was a great, stable thing to do while planning. Because we, we knew before we even moved to Portland that we wanted to open something like Kachka. We didn't know what it was called yet or exactly what it would look like, um, but we knew that we wanted to do something in that general arena. Um, and we, as far back as Chicago, in fact... That's why we moved when we did when my brother kind of called us on our BS. It's like he uh we knew that we wanted to open and if we if we had stayed in Chicago even like a year longer, we would have started making moves to do that there. And that it that would have been foolish because that's not where we ultimately wanted to live. Um, so we sort of put a pause on that, moved here, got our bearings. Um
0: Do you think it would have been easier to I mean, it didn't take long for you to have acceptance here because that, that was an unusual move to open a Russian restaurant. Most people have no clue what that is. And, and so, the nice that's a double edged sword for Kachka, from my perspective. I could be wrong here, but there, the, a lot of people are very curious. So, and you hear, start hearing good things about it. Oh, I'll try that. That's new, and and of course that's part of our culture here in Portland. Yeah, and
3: Portland's that's that is it's it's it is double edged. That's the right way because people are way more willing to try something new um, here than I think they are in Chicago. Um,
0: I. But then you had a larger. Well, you have a pretty good Russian population here.
3: I don't. It's not really about the Russian population. Yeah, I was going to say because that's not. And you know, I think that's the biggest pitfall of so many. Restaurants that focus on a certain cuisine of, that comes from somewhere other than here is, oh, well, I need to target those people because they know it. Um, and that's, that's a problem because then you, you ostracize all the people that aren't in the know. And so if you come into Kachka and I'm, all I'm doing is focusing on my Russian clientele, then you're going to feel like an outsider.
0: Do you have an idea of what percentage that is? Because I have one dear Russian friend and i the first thing I did when you opened was take her to Kachka
3: yeah, but what's funny and, is that I always hear that as that exact story where the the non-Russian dragging the Russian to the restaurant. Sure. I
0: didn't have to drag well, her. Well, no, not drag,
3: but like that. The like it's that it was inspired by somebody. You know what I mean? It's never the other way.
0: I was curious. Well, of course, I'm naturally curious. to See, what do you think about this? Yeah, this and, is your,
3: but the Russians like, oh, another Russian restaurant, big deal. You know, like
0: he didn't say that.
3: But a lot of them do, and that's why that's my point is that that's why that's often a pitfall of trying to specifically cater to the people that are in the know of that cuisine is, I think that's, I think that is just, um, that's just a, a, a bad idea in general, and it's not specific to Russian. I think if you open a Chinese restaurant and all you're trying to do is cater to people who are Chinese, you're going to fail. You're
0: going to be another Chinese restaurant, right? Probably. And, yeah. so. and
3: I maybe not fail, but I think it's going to be a bigger struggle because you you're looking you're automatically trying to focus on a smaller percentage of the population, and then everyone else feels like an outsider. But if you're more inclusive and you're not trying to focus on sp- the specific subsection, mm-hmm. I think you just it just it just feels better for everybody. Um, but yeah, we I I will say that Chicago is just more of a challenge because it's well, there's a lot more noise. It's a, it's bigger, right, and it's more expensive. Um, I would imagine, and it is more expensive. Um, and um, there's the mid the Midwest is challenging. I mean, for, one of the reasons we moved to Portland is that the ingredients here are just they just they're just better. Um,
0: have I, you seen the new campaign for uh from Travel Oregon? No, the animated no. thing that you're in a fantasy. No, it's really cool. Look it up because it it. It's It's all about that. It's It's like, 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 I mean, I remember like the first cartoon,
3: the first few months were just like a constant, like me posting on Facebook about like the amazing berries I just ate or this like raw milk that I bought at the, at Kukul farms. Or I don't know what I just, I like, I was like a constant, every single, every single post that I had all my people, friends that were in Chicago were just like, stop posting these annoying pictures of things I can't have. (laughs) Um, yeah and it, I, I so there's that I mean I just I don't I feel like you're working with a limited set it's not like there aren't amazing restaurants in Chicago it's just I feel like it's a disadvantage like you it's it's frustrating that you can't get just like beautiful produce it's not the same and and then here people are more accepting and they are more willing to try stuff but that's the double edge sort of it is that they're also going to move on to the next new thing because they just want to keep trying something new and, and keeping people's interest is um is challenging I think
0: that and that's that's becoming now it's it's almost a caricature of itself you know what's the next new thing and oh sure it's i've tried things with both the podcast and portland food adventures i've said you know we need to really step back and pay homage to the places that have been here for a long time because they're not getting the attention that all these the children are the you know the babies are and those are the ones you know that have stood the test of time 20 years yeah and it's it's a challenge, and I, I think about that with this podcast a lot. Do I? I don't necessarily want to be a PR vehicle for the next new restaurant. They're already getting all that attention. Sure. I just want to hear who you are, and and you've proven something in Portland. And so I just think that, um, yeah, it's it's a challenge now, and and at some point, are we going to stop wanting to do the next new thing? Is the money's pouring in now, so we're starting to have people are starting to have more money to experiment and that's very true and restaurants are getting a little more expensive i noticed it's a little more to go out to eat than it used to mm-hmm.
3: be i i do think that there i mean there's two things one is that i mean we're we're going to be 4 years old in 2 weeks now right yeah um that's uh, that's not that much time but like, we're, we're not one of the babies anymore, which is yeah. crazy. Like, but I,
0: you're so, still getting press, no. and you have to open a new restaurant Cook. and do a cookbook. You don't have to, but that helped. But that, that helps. But you,
3: But I, not that we didn't do it for press, but, it, but that I is totally the kind of stuff that. that you need to do if you want to keep getting that. But what I will say is that we live in this like bubble of, you know, like food. Frenzy news and like you're saying, like you you know you can't keep up with all like the new places and that it it feels like that because we're in it, but the sort of average Portlander has no idea of this frenetic pace and energy, and they're not paying attention to that at all.
0: Well, there's a there are different subsets of sure. I mean, there are people who, when you ask, some people don't know there's a food scene. Like you take them to a great restaurant, oh man. You're really knowledgeable. It's like, no, I'm gonna. A lot of people know. It. Then there are people who think the Portland food scene is Portland City Grill. I've said this a few times. Right. Oh yeah. That's what you know. And but um, so
3: and so, if you're not constantly reading Eater and all of your friends on Facebook aren't posting about food things, if right. you live in sort of your average Portland world and not in the food world, um, you're not. It's a totally different pace. And so, I mean we're four years old and there most, the majority of Portland has no idea that we exist. I, I agree. In an
0: event like, and so uh, I have to
3: remember when I, when I, when I have that feeling of like, Oh, you know, like we're not, we're, we're not new enough anymore for, to get that coverage and how, what a bummer that is that like, well, yeah, but there's still so many people that have no idea that we exist. And there's still so much untapped
0: market. And, and the majority of that coverage is homogeneous, yeah, so it's, it's hitting got, the same people. It's hitting the same again. people, so um, you're not really reaching out. No. And you know, I've I used to, um, I used to get press for my events on TV stations, and it felt like it wasn't hitting those people. Aren't really looking no. for a hundred twenty-five dollar experience in Portland. No. So, and I used to wonder what purposes, but that's reaching outside to gather some new folks. Yeah. What was the impetus? What was the moment where you both said, "Okay, we're going to do this." and what led to it.
3: So when we started dating, I uh we'd go to my parents' house for dinner, like a normal sort of dating thing to do, meet the parents. Um and the first time we went, I I prepped him for dinner at my parents' house and they were they we had some extended family over too, it was like my aunts and so they were um doing Yeah, she
2: said, uh, you know, come over, have dinner, just be a few of us. It was like 15-20 people. That's, and they were you know, all they were speaking like speaking Russian.
3: Preparing for Not a skit they at were at doing all. for somebody's yeah. birthday. And how
0: far into this was? Were you? How far into the relationship? Um, I think only a few months. Okay, yeah, you know, maybe a couple uh, months. That's a while. Yeah, that's time to meet the parents. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. And um, I so I prepped him and I I I gave him my spiel that I always would give any you know friend or um anybody coming over um you know you might just be prepared the food is weird um you might want to come fed. Um there's going to be a lot of stuff you probably want to avoid. Uh you know just that sort of deal. Um I gave him also I also gave him some tips on like how to, you know, hang with the the drinking um and not get inundated. Um but anyway, which is a
0: key for your restaurant now? So yes. you're, like, you're using those.
3: Oh yeah. Um anyway, I uh he left that experience loving it and loving the food and I I'm pretty sure he wasn't lying. Like he, I, I, I understand. I thought like when he was telling my mom how everything was wonderful and stuff, I'm like, Oh, you're just sucking up to my mom. Um, but then he like told me the same things in the car afterwards. And um, I was kind of shocked. But as we continued to date and um, we just, we would, he was genuinely interested in the food and my mom started like cooking, like she would know we were coming over and she'd like, work, she'd like make something she hadn't made since they immigrated. And like, we would like talk about, dishes and they would talk about family and um we just started like they started remembering and i started learning about all of this food that i had just taken for granted when i was younger and or was just embarrassed by
0: hold on a second i just have to make sure we're still recording here okay i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but this went off so i had no idea you want me to go back no not at all just yes go back to where you were and i'll just make a note
3: um yeah, I just um I it's all this food that I had either taken for granted or was embarrassed by. Um and I, I was What were you
0: embarrassed by?
3: I mean, it's um boiled beef tongue. Like I remember having friends over when I was in middle school and you know, you'd want to ask your parents if they can stay for dinner, except I would never ask because I wouldn't want my friend to see that we were having veal tongue for dinner. Um or um yeah, like herring. Um things like that. Like I just I didn't I didn't think that that I I'm I am sure that I would have not that would not have been received well by like my my friend who ate hamburger helper for dinner normally when they were at home you know right. so
0: um, but that's that wasn't him
3: no but and and so <laughs> given his background um he grew up eating some pretty weird stuff too so I think that that helped but um he was just much more and also just being in the food world like you you're much more accustomed to not... You're not going to bat an eye at veal tongue, let's say, when, you know, you're working in a top-tier restaurant in Chicago. Like, you probably had it on the menu later, earlier that day. Mm-hmm. But you probably charged $60 for it, you know? I mean, so... um, So, yeah, so it, it was something that he was, like, prepped for, but he genuinely thought it was really good and interesting. But I... I that's not my... That wasn't my experience. And so I... It took his intre- genuine interest to, like... Make me change my mind about it, and like it, I had a paradigm shift. Like I, I started seeing things through his eyes. And then when that happened, and we started talking more and more about it, we both kind of realized that no one, um, that that the way that I felt about this food was sort of par for the course, um, and that if we, it felt like if we didn't do something about that, that maybe nobody would, because it didn't, I didn't, and I still to this day don't feel like there's anybody in the U.S. at least that's doing what we do at Katya. Um, which isn't because I'm trying to blow our own horns. It's I legitimately, I would love to see some p- other people doing what we do and I legitimately don't see it. Um, and that's a travesty.
0: So I have to ask, have you ever been to Dinette? I'm just curious because I don't, I, I think you it's. Know, as not, I'm not a sophisticated Russian diner. So for me, I've had great experiences at both and I've thought there were some of the best Food experiences I've had is at your restaurant and at Donetsk too. Yeah. So I'm uh, just curious, and and I took my Russian friend there too, and she she loved it as well. Yeah, so. no,
3: and and Vitaly is a great chef, and it, it's it is delicious food,
0: and, and also do Donetsk
3: a pop up. So
0: yes, no, that that's I was, that's the other you, part of it. Is not that, doing, like, it's, it's not a nightly service. No, thing. and so it's, it's a
3: different thing every time, and um, it's just not, it's not the. It's not, yeah, a pop-up in a restaurant are just not the same thing.
0: Yeah. We're, um, That's a
3: whole nother
1: podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> and speaking of a whole nother podcast, we're going to leave this episode off right here and start next week's episode talking about the moment Bonnie and Israel decided it was time to commit to opening Kachka. Thanks for listening to Right at the Fork. And of course, tune in next week, or if you're in our archives, find the next episode for more with Bonnie and Israel Morales of Kochka.